so good. Amen. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Stephen Choir Orchestra. Let's pray together. Would you bow with, with me? Lord, we come before you asking that you would speak to us. And for every anxious heart in this place, Lord, all of us in varying degrees worried and troubled in this world, you told us that in this world we would have tribulation, we would face trouble, but you have overcome the world. You've come to make all things right, and we know that when we belong to you, all is well. You're sovereign over our lives. You're at work in ways that we cannot see. I pray for every troubled heart. I pray for each person that we would all be drawn close to you in this time. Lord, that you'd speak through me. Help me to get out of the, out of the way. So your word would be heard, not only heard, but applied into every life. That we'd listen to your spirit as you speak to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are Emmanuel. You have come, and all is well this Christmas because of you. Teach us. Speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, actually, 1941, when this song was first heard. Bing Crosby was hosting a show. It was called the Music Hall Radio Show. 1941. Most of you know what took place just 18 days earlier. We entered into World War II on December the 7th when Pearl Harbor was attacked. Not all was well in the world by a long shot. And suddenly our nation was rocked. Our boys were sent off to war. This song was published officially in 1942, written by Irving Berlin, ironically, a Jewish composer, songwriter, who would write the most popular Christmas song of all time. How about this? The best-selling song of all time. Why would this song become the most popular song ever? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I think it harkens us all back to this idyllic Christmas. You know the words, right? This white Christmas when all is right and everyone is in their place and everything is idyllic and beautiful and everyone is happy. It's the way Christmas ought to be. And so it draws us in. I think there's a couple of reasons, right? Nostalgia. It takes us back to when Christmas was the way it ought to be. I don't know if you've ever experienced a white Christmas, but a lot of us look back and we remember Christmas. It's probably in our childhood, if we're old enough, we look back and we think of days gone by that were better, more innocent days. At least in our minds, it seems they were. And we look back and we long for those days. I think another reason this song became so popular, of course, was at the time it was written, our, our, our men, others sent out the entire nation, was fighting up against uh, Hitler's Third Reich and fighting for justice and what is right in the world. It was a challenging time. And many of our young men ended up being away 
for that Christmas, the next Christmas to follow, and for a couple of Christmases there, we, we sang this song and we've sung it ever since. Because we all long for this white, idyllic, perfect Christmas. And today I want to talk about this white Christmas. Have you ever been away from home on Christmas Day? Christmas, maybe you have been. Maybe you're away from home even now. I know when I was uh, a child, I went off to, uh, to my first sleepover. In fact, my mom will remember this. I-, I need to pause for a moment. My mom is actually here today, and she's sitting right over there. My mom. Mom, you can wave at everybody. She's right there. Um, she, has, she has on her bright red Christmas outfit. Now, you hear me talk about my mom a lot because if there's anything, this is not in my notes, by the way, but if there's anything that I've ever done uh, in my life uh, that's been to the glory of God. It's been in large part because of that woman sitting there and all that she's done investing in my life. And I praise God for you, Mom. I'm glad you're here today. She texts me every Sunday morning. She encourages me every Sunday to preach the word to you and to love my people well and she's here today she went to connect group some of you know my my mother-in-law is also a member here so I've got lots of women watching me making sure (laughs) that I'm staying on task and so uh, I'm going to stay on task get back to the message but I'm so grateful mom will remember this I went off to my first sleepover and um and I was good right up to bedtime and uh Anna I had to call my mom and dad to come get me because I couldn't stay overnight just couldn't do it. I had to be in my own bed. And uh, there's something about home, right? I remember being off at college. Some of our students were home from college. I remember long before Christmas break arrived, I was like, I can't wait to be home. My freshman year in particular, something about being home and something about a kind of a 15 by 20 foot cell called a dorm room uh, just didn't feel a lot like home to me. You know, there's something about being home, right? There's no place like home. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my heroes of the faith, was actually a Christian martyr. He was hanged during Hitler's reign in Germany in 1945, just prior to the ending of the war. He spent a year and a half in prison. He spent a Christmas in prison, and he wrote about it. We have his writings, letters from that prison cell, and he wrote this. Listen to this. Life in a prison cell may well be compared to Advent. One waits, hopes, does this or that, things of no real consequence. The door is shut and can only be opened from the outside. Think about it. All of the Christian life is Advent. Waiting, longing for a day when we'll be set free from the chains of this life, from our own sin, ultimately set free from the bondage of this world. All of Christmas is Advent. All of Christian life is Advent. Do you feel yourself at home this Christmas? Do you feel that you're truly home with Christ this Christmas? Or do you feel distant from Him? 
Do you ever feel like he, he, he's not at work in your life? Do you ever feel like perhaps you're not completely forgiven, not really fully loved? How can it be? Do you feel distant from him, even this Christmas? Are you walking through a season of anxiety and worry? Or Today, perhaps, you're, you're carrying the load of burdens, of lost loved ones or friends who've passed on, or you're walking through a difficult, dark season even now. I want to encourage you today, and I want to draw us all back to the idyllic white Christmas, the perfect Christmas, and what it should all be about. Come home to Christmas is the challenge I want us to bring you today. You know, it's been uh, noted again this Christmas. It seems to happen every year. This debate of saying Merry Christmas up against Happy Holidays. Listen, you can say Merry Christmas all you want. Most people don't really know what it means. And we're never going to have Christmas or Christ, I should say, in our culture until we have Christ in our Christianity. We're never going to have Christ in our Christmas until we bring Christ at the center of our Christian lives. And for many of us, this is not the, not the case. We've, we've adopted, adapted a cultural Christianity that doesn't have Christ at the center. And so today what I want to do is bring us all back home, back to this idyllic white Christmas, if you will, the way it should be, the way it ought to be. And I'm going to use the book of Isaiah to walk us through this meta-narrative, the larger story, because you know this, Christmas is a part of a larger, grander narrative. Most people don't realize this. Like any great movie, I suppose, there's a prequel and there's a sequel, and it finds itself in the midst of this grand story. So today I want to take us on a journey through the book of Isaiah and on to the New Testament. I want you to see how this grand story plays out. You can turn to the book of Isaiah. And we're going to walk through. I'm going to just highlight a few places along the way, a long journey to get us to the coming of the Messiah. We've already sung about this Messiah to come. Come, O oh come, Emmanuel. Israel crying out in exile for Christ to come. And now we find ourselves on the backside of Christ's first coming, awaiting his second coming when all things will be made right in the world. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, you can see it there on the screen. 700 years before Christ would arrive. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is Christmas. Now, what he's saying here is this, this word reason, what, what he's saying is let's, let's sit down, let's argue this out is really what it means. Let's dispute this. Let's, let's debate this. The word, really, the root word of reason there is the word correct. Let's see who's correct here. Let's get this right. And what I want us to do is to, here in this moment, before, on this eve of Christmas Eve, let's get this right. Let's wrestle this to the ground. What is this all about and how does it change our lives? How can this moment, God's Spirit speaking into your heart today, change your life as you move into the afternoon and on into this week in the coming year? God's Word is powerful and effective to change our lives. And in Isaiah, we see it. We're going to see it. As he plays out this story, Isaiah lived in Jerusalem. Again, 700 years before Christ 
came on the scene. He, he prophesied during the United Kingdom, prior to the exile. He actually preaches into the exile. We looked at Jeremiah, who was doing the same thing. He preaches a message of judgment up against the leaders of Israel primarily. And he calls them out for rampant social injustice. The most vulnerable, this is interesting to note, the most vulnerable in the culture, in their society, were not being cared for. Orphans, widows, the immigrants. And he calls them out. And he says instead that judgment is going to come, but this message of judgment is tied to a message of hope. He says there's coming a leader. This mysterious leader we discover, find this king that's coming. He's called a king who's going to be along David's line. And God would raise up a new king, and he's going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. He's going to rule with justice, and he's going to bless God's people, and through them will come a blessing. So what happens in Isaiah's life, perhaps you know this, becomes a model of our worship every time we gather. In Isaiah chapter 6, you can see in in Isaiah 6, in chapter 5, he encounters, I mean chapter 6, verse 5, he encounters the Lord in the temple. Now imagine this, he shows up and he sees a vision of God. And he says this after he's declared, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which by the way, is the way that we begin all of our services. We declare Him holy. We praise Him for who He is because in light of who He is, we're right-sized and we're able now to worship Him because we know who we are in light of who He is. And so Isaiah sees God for who He is and he responds as anyone would who sees Him as holy, truly holy. He responds with this. Look at it. Woe is me, he says, for I am lost. I am undone. He thinks he's going to die, is what he's saying. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. Now he's calling him the king, the Lord of hosts. He's in need of rescue, and he knows it. But to his surprise, instead of being uh, met with judgment and even uh, just being eliminated right before a holy God, instead he's restored. And God touches his lips with the coals and and, and he he, he cleanses his lips. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you clean lips to proclaim my truth. And so instead of being wiped out, he's restored. And then he goes to preach this coming judgment. What happens is his experience before God, his calling in Isaiah 6 becomes its kind of personified message of his life. And the message is going to be that judgment is going to come, but God is not going to destroy you. He's going to bring a redeemer. He's going to rescue you. He's going to cleanse you, and then he's going to use you to bless the nations. This is the Abrahamic covenant. It's the covenant made with Moses that ultimately God is going to reign and rule. He's going to raise up from Jesse's uh, line, from David's line, he's going to raise up a branch out of Jesse's line. And David is going to bring forth out of his line this king who's going to rule and reign. And so he goes on to preach, and what he talks about then, as he moves on through the book of Isaiah, his message is that Israel's going to be taken down. Assyria's going to come, and God's judgment's going to come upon Israel. 
Israel, he says, watch this, is going to be cut down. So now Israel's like a tree, and it's going to be cut down, and all that's left is a stump. Imagine a stump, and then it's going to be burned, a smoldering stump. But then he says, out of the stump, there's a seed. What is this seed? There's this holy seed, and then a branch. A new tree starts to form. A new branch starts to come out of this destroyed, smoldering stump. What is this seed? So Assyria does come, chops Israel down, followed by Babylon. And then this holy seed starts to raise up, and we realize it's a king. And then he's given a name. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself... Think about that. The Lord himself will be a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years before Christ comes on the scene. All of this proven, documented through the Dead Sea Scrolls and other other, uh, archaeological finds. 700 years before Jesus would show up on the scene. And sure enough, Babylon comes, the people are sent into exile. And then Isaiah tells the tale of two cities. One that is an archetype of depravity and brokenness. The other is a city that is ruled by a king who reigns and rules with justice and peace. And look at what it says of this king. Now this king, Emmanuel, God with us, born of a virgin, is called a child. Look at this in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. You can see it there. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Look at this. Look how he reigns. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Words only given to God himself. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. So this is an eternal kingdom on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time, this time forth and forevermore. An eternal kingdom. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord's passion, his plans will accomplish this. And so the story goes on and God is going to redeem this, uh, this one city that's destroyed, he's going to bring now a new city. Old Jerusalem will be replaced with new Jerusalem. And God is going to reign. The king, the savior is going to come and he's going to reign. And throughout the rest of the book, on into uh, Isaiah 40, 48, there's this hope and comfort to come. The people are sent into exile. And then this king, this savior called Emmanuel, back in chapter 7, will come but not as anyone expects him to come. Perhaps you know Isaiah 53. This seed, this branch, this child, this king is a suffering servant. This mysterious king to come, who is this man? And so in Isaiah 53, perhaps you know, like a shoot out of dry ground, Like a branch coming out of a smoldering stump, he came. He was despised and rejected. He bore our sin 
and our punishment is placed upon him. He is pierced for our transgressions, and by his wounds we are healed. 700 years before Christ would be placed upon the cross, the old Jerusalem is replaced with the new Jerusalem. In Isaiah 61, there is the coming of the year of the Lord's favor. It harkens back to the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. In the Hebrew, this is not favor given to someone who does something that deserves then favor. This word can also be translated grace. It's favor, undeserved, unconditional favor. The year of the Lord's favor, like the Jubilee, was when uh, debts would be, uh, uh, be, be released and, and prisoners would be set free. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The king says this. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. So throughout, throughout Isaiah, throughout all of redemptive history, it points to the Messiah. The coming Messiah. I want you to see this. Three things. The coming Messiah. This is the purpose of Christmas. Why has Christ come? The Messiah has come for three reasons, and there are personal and cosmic global uh, implications. First, he's come to rescue his people. Secondly, he's come to redeem humanity, all who would turn to him and fall under the reign and rule of this king, and then he's come to restore all creation. I want you to see this. Rescue, redeem, and restore. This is the pattern we see throughout the Old Testament, all of the book of Isaiah. And again, it has cosmic implications. He's bringing everything back to its original state, back to Eden, back to when uh, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God and they spoke to him and walked with him in innocence before a holy God. This Messiah's coming is going to have global, even cosmic, universal implications. Isaiah prophesied that the day would come Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be made like wool. God declared there would come a white Christmas, the perfect, idyllic place where we would all find ourselves home, where we belong, back home again. And God promises among his people that it's going to happen. So the Jews watched after Isaiah, they're in exile, and they watched and waited to come back. And they longed for the day, and they waited, and they waited. And you, perhaps you know this, this, this season of darkness, hundreds of years went by. It's why we sang earlier, O come, O come, Emmanuel, describes the despair that filled the people of Israel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, crying out, ransom captive Israel. This is the time of Isaiah. They're in exile. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. And now we find ourselves in the same place 
between the already and the not yet of our salvation. And then sure enough, the angel comes and says, Behold the virgin. Watch this. Matthew 1, 23. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Quoting from Isaiah 7, verse 14. Then Christ does come, and the angels come. And this army of angels pronounces a cosmic war, but they come not proclaiming violence. They don't come uh, with planes and tanks and guns. They come proclaiming peace. What kind of kingdom is this? What kind of war is this? They proclaim the love of God is going to overcome evil, that light is going to overcome darkness. And I want you to see the proclamation in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Look at this. Look at what he's called. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three names they give him. And I want you to see this. So let's ask the question, what's in a name? Watch how all of this ties together. This is amazing. Why did Christ come? He's given three names at the, at the announcement, the proclamation of his coming. He's given three names. The first is Savior. He's come to rescue us from our sin. The Savior has come. He has come to rescue us from sin, death, and hell. Jesus is the one who saves. He's the rescuer who brings salvation to us all. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered, He's rescued, He saved us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Matthew 1, 21, Mary's told, His name shall, He'll give birth to a son, and His name will be Jesus, Yeshua, which means God saves. He's Jesus. He is the rescuer. He's the one the Lord saves. Let me ask you this. Is the Lord your Savior? Have you received His grace? Have you turned your life to Him? And do you live in response to the fact that He's rescued you from your sin? All of us are like Isaiah. Before a holy God, we're undone. And yet God has come if we would receive His grace, lay down our own self-salvation project, because listen, you've got to lay down your own way if you're going to follow His way. There's a decision to be made. Have you given the Lord your life? Have you received His grace? He died on the cross for your sin. Jesus said to Zacchaeus in Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's why our church exists. We're here to seek and to save the lost through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the one who sent us on this rescue mission. It's why this church was established. It's why we come together to go and to be on mission with Jesus. So he is Savior. Look at this. He's Christ. You see it? He's Savior, Christ, and Lord. Christ, he has come to redeem us is what this means. The word Christos, the equivalent of, now, in the Hebrew is Messiah, the liberating king, the redeemer to come. And all through the Old Testament, he's prophesied to come. Isaiah points to him. He is Christ, the Messiah. This is what it says in Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You see, we've been bought back is what this means. We were created by him. We turned from him. But we've been bought back by him, redeemed. Once you're saved, you live in a new reality. Are you living in this new identity? Do you know that you're no longer a sinner? You're described as a saint. You now can live and overcome sin in your life as you give him your life. You live in a new identity. You're no longer under condemnation. It's why in Acts 2.36, Peter says, He has become both, both Christ and Lord. Watch this. He's not only the Messiah. Thirdly, He is Lord. He is the leader, the ruler of our lives. He has come to restore us back to His original purposes. That happens as we lay down our lives before Him. He's come to rescue us, to redeem us. He's come to restore us back to who He's created us to be. And we cannot get there apart from His Spirit in us. When we receive Christ, His Holy Spirit lives in us. He gives us power to overcome sin in our lives. Are you pursuing Him in holiness? Are you truly living with Christ as Lord of your life? Lord means leader, master. Can you say today that you've given Him your entire life? Have you given Him your time? Have you given Him your gifts? You say, well, how would I know? How are you serving Him? How are, you, how are you giving to Him? Have you laid your finances before Him? Not simply in how you give, but how you spend. Is He Lord of every purchase you make? Is He Lord of every conversation in your life? Is He leader of your life? Because, friends, He's Lord of all. It's why in Romans 14, 8 and 9, it says, For if we live, we live for the Lord. And listen to this. If we die, we die unto Him. He's Lord. He is Lord of the living and Lord of the dead. He reigns over everything. The only rightful, logical thing to do is give your life to Him. He's Lord of all. It's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. Are you living in this new life? Let me ask you, what, what do you need to confess before Him today? Perhaps you need to just come before Him and say, Lord, I, I give you my life. Are you anxious today? I always say it, your anxieties point you to, your, to what's Lord of your life, to your idols. What are you pursuing apart from Him? And if you're saved, if you've been rescued, you've been redeemed, is He truly Lord of your life? What do you need to give to Him? Is He Lord of your relationships? You see, He's called us now. As Lord of our lives, He's called us to obey Him. You say, how would I know? Do you live like Jesus? This is a good week to remind you of all relationships in your life, family and friends. Listen, brothers and sisters, life is too short not to forgive. You've been forgiven much. Forgive others. You may have a family member come to your house. They may be here with you now. You may see someone this week. You need to lay the past behind. You need to love them unconditionally. Just as Christ has loved you, He's called us now to forgive. 
You say, well, what, what might I do? Listen, you need to be in his word. This coming year, we're having the year of the Bible. We're going to walk through the Bible together as a church family. You need to commit yourself, even now, to be here on January 6th. We're going to launch on the 7th, and we're going to walk through the Bible together. It's going to be an incredible year. We have all kinds of great plans you're going to hear about. Be here. And I'd say this, if you're not a member of this church or a church, or maybe you've been coming here, commit yourself to the church. Join the church today. Receive Christ if you've not yet received Him. Allow Him to be Lord of your life. You see, to say, well, I I love Christ, but I'm not so big on the church. You're simply saying that you don't love the thing that He loves more than anything. His bride, the church. You're saying, "I, I, I believe in Jesus, but not everything He told me to do. To join the fellowship of the church. Today is the day for you to join the rest of us on mission with Him. Because you see, Jesus, of course, begins his ministry. This baby grows up, and then he launches his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, listen to what he says. You might remember the scene. He's given the scroll for the day to read. Many believe a liturgical pattern, and he's given the passage. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaim liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it says that Jesus, after he read it, he said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing right now. Christ has come to rescue, to redeem, and restore us back to him. Have you come to him? Friends, have you given him your life? Is he Lord of your life? You can experience a white, perfect, idyllic Christmas. Not based on what gifts you receive. Not based on who acts this way or that way. Whether your your, your meal is perfect. Whether all things are just right. You can experience the peace of Christ that comes by his presence and his spirit in your life if you simply give him your life. Say, Lord, be be Lord of my life. I give you my life. I confess my sin to you. You can pray the prayer of David. How about this? Psalm 51, 7. Let's all read this together. You can see it on the screen. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Perhaps you know the hyssop branch was used by a priest. They would take the sacrificial blood of the lamb, an unblemished lamb, and then it was sprinkled as a sacrifice, an atonement, blood shed for the sins of the people. Christ, the Lamb of God, comes to rescue us, to redeem us, and to restore us back to who he's created us to be. So, This is the true white Christmas. Our soldier Jesus has gone to war and he has won the victory for us. And now he finds himself home. He left home. As Philip Yancey said, we are the visited planet. 
He came. He fought the war. He won the victory for us. And then he returned home at the right hand of the Father. He sends his spirit to live in us. And now we can praise him. Praise him. Though your sins are like scarlet, if you receive his grace, they've been washed as white as snow. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We praise you for this grand story of redemption that has come to us. We thank you that we are on this side of the cross. But with that comes a great responsibility. You've grafted us in. Gentiles brought into the family, adopted into your family. And Lord, I pray for every person here who needs to settle this, wrestle this to the ground, friend, before you leave today. On this eve of Christmas Eve, you before God, have you received His grace? Receive Him now. Say, Lord, come into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. By faith, I receive your grace, your forgiveness. Let us all pray, Lord, take the reins of my life. Take control of my life. Be Lord, leader, master of my life. Bring what do you need to give to him today? Confess your sin before him. Lord, we lay our lives before you. You astound us with your grace. Thank you that you have not left us alone, but you have come to ransom us, the true Israel, your people, the family of God. We worship you. We love you. We live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to close our service in a very special way. Before we do, I want to say this. How might you respond? Well, Christ has come. He's rescued us, friends. He's redeemed us and he's restored us. He is restoring us back to where he wants us to be. He's doing that work in your life and mine. And I praise God on this day that I am privileged to serve alongside you and to serve as your pastor, shepherd. We're growing in him. We're learning to pray and to seek his face. If you want to be a part of this great church, friends, you are welcome. And we're going to meet with you after the service. You can find us right back in the foyer, and we're going to talk with you about next steps. If you want to come, have prayer. Maybe your heart is heavy today. Myself, others will be back there. We'd love to greet you and pray with you. You know, we've talked about it. Our pain and, and our challenges are acute at Christmas time. And we're here for you. We'll be here as long as we need to be to serve you and, and to minister to you. If you want to come and talk about the decision you made today, perhaps you want to join the fellowship of the church. Maybe you received Christ today. Don't leave without talking with someone about that. We'll be right back there through the back doors. You can find us uh, right back there. Now, I want you also to be ready. I told you, 
Year of the Bible is coming January the 6th. You can find an app on your phone. It's called Read Scripture. We're going to walk you through that. You'll see some, watch for your emails, the, uh, some, some emails coming your way. Go to our website. You can already see how to do this, but it's real simple. You can go on your phone, your iPad. You can go to Read Scripture, and you'll find the Bible Project. You can set the date, which I've already done, to January 7th. That's when we're going to start reading, okay? But on the 6th, we're going to launch an incredible year ahead, and so I want you to be here on the 6th, all right? And then finally, tomorrow, the night of nights starts at 4 o'clock, 4, 6, and 8. I hope that you'll reach out to others, friends. We've been given a great gift. There's nothing like Christmas Eve at Park City's Baptist Church because we're going to proclaim the gospel to everyone who comes and celebrate what Christ has done for us. It's going to be an amazing night. We've prepared a great service. In fact, I'm going to bring all of the colors of Christmas together and kind of an artful surprise. So I hope that you'll come. It's going to be an amazing time. You're not going to want to miss tomorrow. So come and join us. Come to the service that best fits you, okay? Now we're going to close in a very special way. Uh, his name was Howard Thurman. He was uh, an African-American civil rights activist during the 60s. And he uh, was a, a, a strange mixture. He was a mystic preacher prophet who was also a Quaker. And he was impacted by Rufus Jones, a famous Quaker. But he also, not only was a preacher activist, he was also uh, a poet. And he wrote a poem that was uh, put in a book. It was a Christmas poem, actually used as kind of a Christmas liturgy, a benediction, in fact in a book that was called Black Fire, African-American Quakers on Spirituality and Human Rights. He wrote this poem that then a young composer by the name of Dan Forrest put to music. It harkens back to Isaiah 61, harkens back to Luke 4, Christ launching his ministry and we close with this today as a benediction sung over you. But I want you to think as we leave this place out into the world, all the hustle and bustle of Christmas and those who are far from God, we've now been given the work of Christmas. Christ has done all that's necessary. Now he gives us the work of Christmas yet to be accomplished. Thank you.